bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 26, 2019. 17 years ago this week, the CDFI Fund released the very first list of 188 community development entities that were certified for the inaugural round of the New Markets Tax Credit Program. That was March 27, 2002 to be exact. Now the following spring, 66 organizations out of 345 community development entity applicants were selected to receive the first $2.5 billion in New Markets Tax Credit Allocation Authority. Now, 17 years later, more than $54 billion in Allocation Authority has been awarded over 14 rounds. And we're expecting the 2018 calendar year round of the New Market Tax Credit Allocations any day now. So, be sure that you're subscribed to the Novogratic Industry Alert emails so you'll be notified when those awards are announced. So, turning to this week's podcast, I have a lot of news to share starting with three House and Senate hearings being held this week, as well as an update on the status of the nomination for the next Federal Housing Finance Agency director. I'm also going to talk about when Congress may consider tax extender and disaster relief legislation. From there, I'll highlight certain key issues that I'm hoping will be addressed in Opportunity Zone's guidance, issues that, if properly addressed, could help increase investment in underserved areas. After that, I'll have some brief news relating to veteran housing and private activity bonds, as well as long-compensing tax credit and private activity bond allocations for 2019 and HUD REACT inspections. From there, I'll close with some state efforts to increase community development and historic preservation investments through tax incentives. If you're ready, let's get started. Congress is back in session this week after last week's state and district work period. Now, I want to touch briefly on three key hearings worth keeping on your radar this week. First up, the House Financial Services Committee's Oversight Subcommittee is scheduled to hold a hearing today on the administration of disaster recovery funds in the wake of Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. This hearing is also expected to include discussions of the Reforming Disaster Recovery Act of 2019, proposed legislation that would permanently authorize the Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program, or CDBGDR. Now, the proposed legislation would direct HUD to provide standardized rules for all CDBG-DR grantees to follow. The thinking is that standardized rules would make the flow of CDBGDR funding to disaster areas more effective and more efficient. I'll also wait to hear whether committee members will call for disaster allocations of low-income housing tax credits and new markets tax credits. Now, another hearing to keep on your radar is tomorrow's House Ways and Means Committee on Tax Reform. On tax reform, I'll keep an eye on Chairman Neal's comments regarding tax or technical corrections. It's clear that Democrats are not just going to pass technical tax corrections without having some of their tax priorities addressed. But Neal could signal what he might be thinking of along those lines. Such legislation might be a vehicle for tax credit provisions. In the Senate, the Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee will hold a two-day hearing on housing finance reform today and tomorrow. Now, it'll be important to see what Senate Banking Committee Republicans say on the affordable housing goals 
on the Housing Trust Fund, on the Capital Magnet Fund, and on the Duty to Serve mandate. Now, the CREPA bill outline that was released in February maintains and increases the Housing Trust and Capital Magnet Fund. It does away with the affordable housing goals, though, and replaces them with a market access fund and is unclear about duty to serve. Now, it'll also be worth keeping an eye out for any long-term tax credit comments. It'll be interesting to see how willing Senate-banking Democrats will be to negotiate on the bill. I'll report back on these hearings in next week's podcast. In related news, a full Senate vote on the nomination of Mark Calabria as the next director of the Federal Housing and Finance Agency remains in the category of pending. Cowan Washington Research Group reports that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has prioritized other issues over confirming the next FHFA director. It's been suggested that the Senate may consider Calabria's nomination after voting on the Green New Deal resolution this week. The delay in Calabria's confirmation could also be affecting the funding of the Housing Trust Fund and the Capital Magnet Fund. The funding allocations that were set aside last year by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have not yet been transferred to HUD and the Treasury CDFI Fund. It has been suggested that the transfer of those funds may be on pause until after Calabria is confirmed. In the meantime, the funding delay means significant dollars for affordable housing and community development is not yet flowing to help the low-income families and communities that need it. Meanwhile, political reports that the House Ways and Means Committee plans to consider a bill, a tax bill next month, April, that will likely include extending expired tax provisions. Now, it's not clear yet what the exact timing of the bill will be or what will be included. But Ways and Means could try to include certain tax-related disaster relief provisions in such a bill. Possible tax provisions targeted to disaster areas could include additional long-composing tax credits, more new markets tax allocation authority, as well as a higher historic tax credit percentage, which would be similar to what was included in the GoZone Act to help the recovery from Hurricane Katrina. Now, the challenge, as I've noted previously, is that the House has readopted the PAYGO rule for this Congress. PAYGO requires legislation that cuts taxes or increases spending be offset with tax increases or spending cuts so the deficit doesn't go up. Basically, pay as you go. Now, the Senate, on the other hand, has not taken the position that tax incentives need to be offset. They've taken the position tax incentives do not need to be offset. Now, it's not clear how this dispute will be resolved. I will note, though, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal's Chief Tax Counsel, Andrew Gossman, was quoted in the press saying that the House could waive the PAYGO rule for extenders. So let's switch topics now to Opportunity Zones. It's been two weeks since the IRS submitted the second tranche of regulatory guidance for Opportunity Zones to the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA. OIRA is a division of the White House Office of Management and Budget. Now, I wrote a Notes from the Novogratic blog post on 20 Opportunity Zones regulatory guidance issues that we at Novogratic are watching closely. Now, depending on whether and how these issues are addressed will greatly influence the success of the Opportunity Zones incentive in driving equity investment into distressed communities. Now, I'm not going to list all 20 of the issues here. However, there will be a bonus podcast later this week where I discuss the 20 issues. 
In the meantime, you can check out the notes and Novak blog post for more detailed information. That said, I do want to highlight a couple of the issues in this podcast. For one, I would like the second tranche of guidance to address the 90% and 70% asset test. Opportunity funds must hold at least 90% of their assets in Opportunity Zone property. And a qualified Opportunity Zone business must have substantially all of its tangible property, owned or leased, qualify as Opportunity Zone business property. Now, the proposed regulations define substantially all as meaning 70%. However, the first tranche of proposed Opportunity Zones guidance, released last October, would require that Opportunity Funds and Qualified Opportunity Zone businesses use generally accepted accounting principles or GAAP methods to calculate compliance with the 90% and the 70% asset tests if they have applicable financial statements. The Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group recommended to the IRS that the final regulations should allow the option to use unadjusted cost basis to value tangible property regardless as to whether or not you have an applicable financial statement. Now, there are many reasons why we believe the mandatory use of GAAP financials is inappropriate and that using unadjusted cost basis should be an option. One such reason is that using unadjusted cost basis will prevent a reduction of qualifying assets to the 90% and 70% asset tests over time just because of depreciation expense. Now, the logic here is that the mere passage of time and the accumulation of depreciation expense should not cause a qualified opportunity fund to fail the 90% asset test or a qualified opportunity zone business to fail the 70% asset test. Now, another issue that we're hoping will be addressed in guidance is how long a business has to become an opportunity zone business. That is, after receiving an investment from an opportunity fund. Now, current law is unclear to what extent a business has a grace period to qualify as an Opportunity Zone business. New businesses that are being organized to become an Opportunity Zone business and existing businesses that are expanding within or into Opportunity Zones will need time. They'll need time to acquire and or improve tangible property and put such property to active use in Opportunity Zones. The working group recommends providing at least a 12-month safe harbor for a business to become an Opportunity Zone business. That is, 12 months after the date of investment in the Opportunity Zone business by an Opportunity Fund. Now, there's an article by Stephen Mount, an attorney with Squire Patton Boggs, that addresses this issue in the April Opportunity Zones edition of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. I also last week asked my Twitter followers which issues they would like to see addressed. Duncan Kelm wants to know how depreciation will be treated. Gay Bodie asked whether refinances will be allowed after stabilization without losing the capital gains tax shield. OpZone PBC wants to know about recapture. And Mitch Spiegel wants to know whether the land exclusion on the substantial rehabilitation test will stand. What amount and clarification of biz assets that need to be in an opportunity zone, as well as various reporting needs. I want to thank them for commenting on Twitter. These comments do emphasize the interest in opportunity zones and how certain critical tax issues remain. I do invite listeners to send me their thoughts as well. What questions do you want answered or addressed 
in the next tranche, the second tranche of Opportunity Zones guidance. You can tweet them to me by tagging my Twitter handle at Novogratic, or send an email to cpas at novoco.com. As I said, you can find the full list of 20 issues that I'm tracking, at least some of the 20 issues that I'm tracking, on the notes from Novogratic blog. And I will also post a podcast later this week where I discuss the 20 issues. Now, I tweeted the link last week, and we'll include it in today's show notes. Also, I recommend you consider joining, if you haven't already, our Opportunity Zones Working Group. You can see details on how to join in today's show notes. Now, in other news, six U.S. senators together sent a letter to IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick last week. The letter asked for clarification and confirmation that housing developments for veterans is eligible for tax-exempt private activity bond financing. So, why was this letter sent? Well, IRS officials recently informed some bond councils that the general public use exception in Section 42, the Long Housing Tax Credit Statute, an exception that allows for housing targeted to specified groups such as veterans, that that section, while it applied to Section 42, did not necessarily apply to private activity bond finance multifamily housing. Now, that position would mean that those bonds cannot be used for veterans' rental housing. This is quite obviously not the intent of the provision, and the bipartisan group of senators were from Texas, Nevada, California, and Hawaii, and they asked the IRS to clarify that veterans' rental housing is indeed eligible. There's a link to the letter in today's show notes. And while we're speaking of the IRS, last week, the agency published resident population figures that are used to calculate 2019 long-term housing tax credit and private activity bond allocations. The big takeaway is that the long-term housing tax credit ceiling for every state will increase this year, and the private activity bond cap for nearly every state will also increase this year. That means more funding for much-needed affordable housing. The allocation increase is partly because of population growth, but also because of the temporary 12.5% long housing tax allocation boost enacted as part of the fiscal year 2018 Omnibus Appropriations Bill. The populations of Arizona and Idaho grew at the fastest rate. They both increased more than 2% in population from 2018 to 2019. Now, I wrote a blog post on the matter, and we'll include the link in today's show notes. Now, let's turn to the Government Accountability Office. They issued a report last week on HUD's Real Estate Assessment Center's inspections of HUD-assisted and HUD-insured properties, or commonly referred to as REAC inspections. The GAO report calls for 14 changes, all dealing with how REAC selects, trains, and monitors the contractors who perform inspections. Now let's turn to state news. A bill was introduced in North Carolina to both extend and expand the North Carolina State Historic Tax Credit. This legislation would extend the sunset date 10 years, from the year 2020 to 2030, and would also increase the caps on several specific provisions that provide a boost, including being in a Tier 1 top distressed area or a targeted investment site, and the bill would add an additional 5% boost for properties in federally declared disaster areas. Now, this bill was introduced by 34 members of the House Representatives. That would be 34 out of 120 members were co-sponsors, quite a good percentage. 
Meanwhile, in Mississippi, legislation to extend the state's New Marcus Tax Credit program was signed into law by Governor Phil Bryant. Now, the program is extended until July 1, 2021. And then in state-level Opportunity Zones news, Oklahoma has combined an existing program with the Opportunity Zones incentive. This administrative move was made by the State Department of Commerce. Oklahoma's priority enterprise zones provide several incentives to investors, including eligibility for a state tax credit for new investment or job creation. Combining those zones with Opportunity Zones will allow investors to potentially layer in multiple incentives, thereby making it more attractive for investors and thus driving private capital into low-income communities. And then elsewhere, Maryland legislation was introduced in both houses of the legislature to give a 5% bump for store tax credits that are claimed in Opportunity Zones. Now, there already are several conditions under which Maryland properties can get the 5% boost. This would add Opportunity Zones to that list. A boost to the state of store tax credit in Maryland could allow for a project to expand or enhance the scope of its historic preservation work. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I do want to remind listeners that the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits is accepting nominations for its annual awards. Awards which recognize excellence in affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, as well as renewable energy. Winners receive free passes to an upcoming Novogratz conference, as well as recognition during the awards ceremony. Now, nominations are due Friday, May 24th, but please make your nominations early. There's no need to wait until May 24th. I'll post a link in today's show notes with more information and send out a tweet. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.